Kelsey. And hello, Women in Diplomacy listeners. This is an exciting time because the podcast is getting special correspondence. (laughs) (laughs) Special correspondents are rising stars and young professionals in the fields of diplomacy, international relations, and foreign policy. And with each correspondent, I've crossed paths with them in one way or another. Maybe they've reached out to me to express support for the podcast, or perhaps we've met at a networking event. And the idea is we work together to come up with an episode concept, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to each of them to produce and host an episode of their own on a theme in international relations that they feel we should know more about. So stay tuned because these episodes will now be sprinkled throughout the regular podcast lineup. And if you're interested in learning more or connecting with one of these amazing special correspondents, check out theforeignpolicyproject.org. This episode, I want to introduce you to four of these special correspondents. Sarah Haywood, Spandana Singh, Motunrayo Shafau, and Anna Vergara. I thought we'd have a conversation about where they find themselves in their career and in life and geographically in the world, what is going well and, and what isn't, because I'm a firm believer that honest dialogue is a great place to start to determine what sort of steps we're going to need to take to integrate more diverse voices in foreign policy dialogue So this is essentially a check-in with the Women in Diplomacy community. Please share your own experiences on Twitter and Facebook with us, too. And I hope, as always, that this episode reminds you that you are not alone, we've got your back, and we can do this. Okay, ladies, I want to hear about Sarah Haywood. Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm from Australia. I was born and raised in Melbourne and I'm living in Canberra at the moment. Um, I'm 21 and I'm a firm believer that Vegemite is the greatest breakfast bread on the planet and it's very unfortunate that the rest of the world does not appreciate it to the same extent that Australians do. But I think you have to be brought up with it. Um, I am currently traveling so I'm in France at the moment which is an amazing experience and I'm deepening my understanding and ability in French. My studies are in languages um, and in linguistics, so I can speak uh, French, Chinese and English, obviously. Um, And then I've deepened my understanding of these languages in linguistics. Um, I originally actually wanted to major in international relations um, and living in the capital of Australia and going to this world-renowned university at the Australian National University for international relations has given me these incredible opportunities to hear from diplomats and leaders and um, scholars working in the international relations field and really help me understand that there are so many diverse opportunities um, in international relations for young women today Um, and they're just they're just they're multiplying um, each day from our own creativity so it's a very exciting time um, to be a young a young professional in international relations for sure. I love hearing your perspective because this optimism and positive approach is definitely what I think we'll need uh, to pave the way forward for women in diplomacy. 
Do you feel like right now, as you're studying, that there's anything missing from your university experience? So I definitely think linguistics has been really helpful in um, helping me with intercultural communication, not just at the the language level, but also um, being patient and tolerant and kind and grateful um, to other people around the world who I meet. Um, ANU's got a fantastic international relations program, but it is highly theoretical in a lot of aspects. Um, and I feel there is more that can be done. Perhaps it's done it at the postgraduate level, um, but there is more that can be done when you take theory and then you apply it um, to real world problems, or you look at real world problems that don't actually fit um, the theory potentially, um, or fit bits of different theories. Um, for example, um, there's a lot of discussion at the moment um, in Australia about the problem um, we have in our security arrangements where you, the US is our strongest ally, but then also we have our, um, our economic arrangements where our strongest partner is China. And this puts us in a very difficult position because we just, you know, how do we choose? Do we have to choose? Like all these questions are being discussed quite um, heavily in Australia at the moment. And that's like the sort of the three main IR theories, realism, liberalism, and constructivism, offer different perspectives on um, the problem. But for me, I feel none of them are really satisfactory. And I think, you know, we really need to take a hybrid approach if we're going to draw on IR theory um, or help, help even create a new theory of our own potentially um so yeah very interesting time mm. yes okay I, and I cannot wait I feel like in 10 years we're going to hear about the the Haywood theory the Haywood hybrid <laughs> theory <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> thank you so much Sarah okay um okay. next Spandana Singh tell us about yourself where do we find you what are you up to Hi, thanks. Um, so I recently graduated from UC Berkeley um, almost, I think, just over a month ago. And I, I just moved to Washington, D.C. Um, in August, I'm going to be uh, work, regaining a fellowship at a think tank called New America, which focuses on bridging the gap between technology and policy. Um, and I'm going to be working on everything ranging from cybersecurity to digital rights and transparency. I'm very excited for that. Uh, right now, um, in the interim period, I'm interning with another think tank called the East-West Institute, and I'm working on their global cooperation and cyberspace team, um, doing a lot of really cool work, everything from smart cities to encryption to bug bounties. So it's a really interesting time, and I think that um, I've always wanted to live in Washington, D.C., so this is somewhat of a dream come true, and I'm really excited to be here and be here on this podcast, too. So great. Thank you for being here. Um, and do you think having gone to school maybe in the San Francisco Bay Area has influenced you wanting to kind of merge these these fields or study the crossroads of, of tech and foreign policy? Definitely. So um, at Berkeley, I did a double major in international development and media. And um, a lot of the courses that were offered, again, um, I agree um, I agree with what Sarah said, were very theoretical. Um, and so in an attempt to sort of root myself in a bit more practical experience, I ended up working a lot um, with tech and entrepreneurship. 
And so that's sort of how my interest in the space budded. And I found that um, because it's such a dynamic space and it's always changing, there's a lot of very relevant um, political and international relations work being done in the tech policy and tech law space. And so that's sort of how I ended up there based on my university studies. Again, just speaking to that kind of hybrid concept, we can't really function or become specialists in just one area anymore. So I love the idea that we're thinking about, you know, just cross-sectional uh, approaches and working on numerous concepts instead of just tackling international problems from one lens. So I'm really excited to see um, what comes of your work, Spandana. Thank you. And we call you Spandy. So listeners, you'll probably hear us refer to her as Spandy throughout the, the rest of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Next is Montunrayo Shafau. And speaking of nicknames, we call her Motu. Hi, Motu. How you doing? Hi, Kelsey. I'm very well. Thank you. Oh, good. Okay. Tell us all about you and where we find you right now. Um, currently, I live in Paris, where I contribute to a consultant called LGA. And we work on European projects that range from like uh, projects focused on climate services to critical raw materials and the likes. So like with this position, I have the opportunity to like branch out and explore, discover new niches that I never knew like were like possible for me to discover. So I think right now is a very good place. And before I started this position, I was at Sciences Po. Paris, we are studying international security. And I guess that provided like a very good platform for me to move on to this position and do a, do a good job while at it. Yeah, and I think one thing from what I understand that you're working on right now is kind of the impact of of international communications. You're putting communication skills to work um, for kind of to, you know, hopefully help achieve global goals and bring light to organizations that need it most. Um, yes, exactly. And it's quite important because most of these projects have science involved and it's not very easy to like for scientists to communicate directly to the public because most times when they speak like the ears of the public start to bleed because they don't understand like the technical terms and all that so this is where we come in so we could communicate adequately for the end for the general public to understand properly what we're trying to do what the aims of the project are and like what the long-term goals we intend to achieve are and why they're important in general and tell us a little bit about your undergraduate degree. Do you feel like that prepared you well? And what made you go on to do a master's at Sciences Po? And again, was, was there anything missing from that to help you prepare for the real world? My undergraduate degree, I did it in uh, Nigeria, in Zaria, Amadubili University, and I studied international relations. I'd say it was adequate for where I was then, but like uh, because I came into like a French system from like an Anglo-Saxon system of education, it was quite different for me getting used to the French system and what the gradings are like and what like they expect from the papers. So I'd say, well, if I perhaps studied for my master's in the UK, perhaps it would have been adequate. I guess it worked because then like I was able to stretch myself further to learn what I needed to learn to cope in the situation I found myself in. So I'd say yes, 
my bachelor's did a good job in itself. But what I find like lacking is like preparation for the future because you learn all these things in school, but like no one tells you how it is supposed to be, for example, in the job market, how you need to like set yourself apart, um, how you need to cope with taxes and all these other things. I feel like perhaps schools should like try to incorporate um, issues like this when we do like career sessions, like to let you know that there are responsibilities ahead that you need to be prepared for now. Last but not least, Anna Vergara. Hi, Anna. Where do we find you? Hey, Kelsey. Well, I'm currently in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I had actually been, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I had been gone living in South Korea for a couple of years and then um, decided to come back. And now I'm pursuing my master's in human rights at the University of Minnesota. Um, yeah, so that's where I'll be heading this fall. Um, I'm also um, in the process of going into the final round of interviewing for um, a consular fellowship, um, which means exciting. I could potentially be, yeah, it's so exciting. Um, I can't wait to go to DC and interview and find out. But if I do that, then I'll be shipped off to a Spanish speaking country. So I don't know what my life will look like this coming year, but either way, I'm super excited for it to start. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's an experience I've certainly had in my career many times and listeners out there may also be experiencing that where they're not sure where their career might head, even what country they might even be living in, because that is the nature of the work that we yeah. do. Um, can you share if you felt like there was anything missing from your university studies? Yeah, well, so I actually went to Augsburg College um, here in Minnesota. It's a small private school, um, and it was really great. It was actually um, 50% minority, right in the middle of the city, and I chose to go there intentionally. Um, but I also live in the Midwest, so when I got out into the workforce, I wasn't quite ready for the lack of diversity. Um, so that, so navigating that has been a little bit difficult, especially as someone that's first generation who um, wants other people to talk to their, talk through with their stories. Um, so that's been, that's been a little bit difficult. Um, but also just my location. I obviously I reached out to you online and I've been doing a lot of networking. Um, but international relations is international and not really out in the Midwest. Um, so I've just been learning to be a little bit more comfortable with talking to strangers and asking intentional conversations and um, learning to grow and be bold in the things that I want to pursue. My focus is going to be immigrants and refugees. Minneapolis is is actually pretty diverse. It does have a lot of um, refugees from Somalia, um, the Korean people, um, a lot of Latinos, and a lot of Russians. And so I want those folks to be my focus, which is why I'm, I want to continue to study human rights. Um, but I, within that, I want to focus on 
mental health, um, which I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to, um, have that come my way, but I had an experience in South Korea where I saw just how culture can keep you from finding resources and the help that you need. And currently I'm working at a health nonprofit and I run a lot of webinars about uh, the, the Latinos here in the Twin Cities and the Somali people and um, just topics that are too taboo for them to find help. Um, I think of international relations as, yes, being abroad, but also, you know, how can we influence that to help the people that are actually already in our city? I'm really curious, what sort of in, initially inspired you each to pursue a career in this in this field of international relations? I, I don't think I'll point to like one exact moment. I'll just think like there was this desire in me, like this drive to just do more. And I just had to like do it afraid and just do it regardless of whether or not I knew what I was doing or what the results would be like. So I'll just say like, just a drive deep down, like you need to go farther than where you currently are. And you just need to do it afraid. And you never know how far of an impact you could make. I think in Australia, there's a, there's a great tradition of travel um, because we are so far away from the rest of the world. Um, and so for me, I've always been interested um, in other cultures and other ways of doing things. And I've also had this sort of nebulous desire to help people. And so I think... IR seemed like a a really good way to try and meld those two parts of me together. Um, still working on the fine points, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I would say like Sarah, um, I always grew up with a strong culture of travel and uh, my parents, because of their jobs, um, moved a lot around. And so DC, I think, is the eighth city in the sixth country that I've lived in. And so for me, it was uh, less of like an inspirational moment, more of kind of like a way of life that I knew that I wanted to be able to continue. And so that's sort of why I joined IR. Yeah, for me, it actually wasn't, um, I didn't get this inspiration from my family. My parents um, were actually immigrants, so they couldn't afford to travel all over, but that made me have a strong desire to travel as I got older. So traveling for me, um, once I got into college, had always been my goal. And once I was in college, I realized, who am I drawn to? I'm drawn to my friend from Honduras, my friend from Nigeria, my friend from Kenya, my friend from Sudan. Um, and I just realized that diplomacy is just a natural gift for me. So that's what I want to pursue. In your introductions, some of you touched on the specific topics that you're interested in covering. Now, each of you are working on an episode for Women in Diplomacy on a certain focus area. Can you tell us what you are feeling the most nerdy about right now <laughs> in our field? What topic is your favorite and, and why does it, you know, why do you feel drawn to it and, and why do you want to share it with us? Um, I don't know. Right now, I'm obsessed with being like a, a better communicator. Uh, and this is quite different from where I was the first time I tried to prepare like an episode as a special correspondent. Because <laughs> the first time I was like working on a paper on a responsibility to protect and I was really obsessed then. And now that I actually get to contribute like work-wise, 
to like a consulting and we do communications. Like I'm just obsessed with like finding out how to like get into people's heads, finding out how to like make something sticky. And I was reading, I'm reading this book by Malcolm Gladwell. I think it's, what's it called? And it's just about like trying to like find how to make a message sticky. And yeah, it's called The Tipping Point. And I'm just learning so much. And I think that's where I'm at right now, trying to be a better communicator, trying to like use social media effectively rather than just like spending tons and tons of time on there with no results. And just trying to like speak to other people who are, who've been in the field, who have been communication on European projects or like African projects or projects, just like that connect the world and finding out how they make things work, how they make like a real impact. So that's where I'm at right now. Very cool. Uh, for me, I think that getting the people that are around me a little uncomfortable. Um, and what I mean by that is um, I was abroad and I just have a different concept of space, the space that I'm living at and um, time even. And so challenging the people that I'm surrounded by with, okay, actually you can take the time to do this. I've met other Americans abroad that do it. It's, it's just your, it's just our American lens that we don't think that we have enough time for things and um, we can learn to value relationships a little bit more than just going from checklist to checklist. So that's been an obsession of mine, being able to point out, hey, that's actually very American of you and it's unnecessary, uh, <laughs> which can either go really great or sometimes not so great. Um, so there's that. Um, also just, I'm learning so much about different refugees in the area. And so getting more of my friends and people I'm surrounded by to make more of an effort to know their community. You don't really need to go abroad. We're really actually, um, we just have these huge communities of refugees right behind us and we can learn so much from them. So that's my obsession is encouraging people to get out of their comfort zone, have more conversations with folks and get outside of their cultural lens. Great. <laughs> yeah, so beautiful. I think for me at the moment, I've sort of got two obsessions. Um, the first one I alluded to in my introduction, um, which is the um, the dichotomy Australia faces between um, our US ally and China. Um, and my first uh, special correspondent episode is really focused on that. Um, but I think my other passion at the moment is um, aspect of sociolinguistics um, where you look at the intersection and the interaction between politics and language um, because language is the key tool that politicians use to communicate their ideas and it's such a, a simple thing it's always in the background and people don't really notice it and I love what happens and thinking about what happens when people take note of the impact that language has on politics. Um, and I think Donald Trump and his use of Twitter is a new and truly fascinating development in this space um, and how, you know, um, policy documents have gone from being these long, complex, technical um, uh, pieces that are often full of jargon, which is an entirely different and very interesting um, aspect of political sociolinguistics as well, 
um, to being 140 characters. Um, and I think I'm really excited to see um, what conclusions sociolinguists can draw from um, this and how it impacts, um, how this use of language impacts politics. Yeah, and I think I would probably um, say something very similar to what Anna said about really challenging the people around you to expand their mindsets. Um, because I'm very interested in counterterrorism, um, a lot of the research and work I've done is looking at preventative methods for preventing extremism. And I think that it's a very under-researched and you know um, an area that's not really explored as much because it requires a lot of understanding culturally and geographically. Um, and of course, it's much easier to be able to uh, tackle a problem once it exists, but it's much more difficult to uh, really understand the roots of the problem and you know how that ties to the way people are living and the conditions and their socioeconomic um, conditions of their lives. So um, I've really been pushing to get the people in my life to expand their mindsets in that way and really understand um, issues from a more comprehensive perspective. And hopefully each of your podcast episodes will help with that effort too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, so can I ask, what is maybe the biggest challenge that you feel that you're facing right now as you begin to build your career? Well, I think I mentioned mine in my introduction. Like sometimes I do get overwhelmed about what needs to get done when. But I guess that also ties to like the pressure that we feel sometimes as young women and feeling like you have some sort of timeline you have to like stick to to show that you're successful at this point of your career or you're lagging behind but I think it's a process to be quite honest I think even though I said um I would have appreciated some more information really like what what's going to happen in your life after you're done with school I think I also appreciate the fact that I can learn as I go because then that could have even be more overwhelming for me, having so much information and not knowing what to do with it. So I think I just appreciate this point where I could just learn as I go. If I like have this issue, I could just speak to like a mentor, speak to like young women in the same like situation, having the same uh, challenges, and we could just speak and find like a solution to like this problem that I have. So mm -hmm. yeah, so even though I'll just say, even though like I get overwhelmed, I just try to like stay positive, like read books that could like show me new insights to this thing I'm going through. And it's nothing, like nothing is like so like overwhelming that you cannot like surpass. So we can do it, we can just do it. Whatever it is, it's doable. I think having those first couple doors closed can be a little bit difficult when it comes to um, just continuing to move forward and um, continue to just continuing to knock on the right doors it can be a little bit discouraging but just learning to pick yourself up and having good mentors around you that are going to keep pushing you forward is um, it's just so important to your career I think for me as um, as I enter the final semester of my degree it's quite surreal um, and this transition from student life, which is, you know, all you've really known since you were about three, um, to an actual a workplace um, and the new rules and expectations that come with that um, is quite nerve wracking. Um, 
I'm very lucky that I am um, have a, a graduate position lined up for me um, that I'll start in February. Um, but I'm also I'm very aware and very concerned um, and keen to help my friends I see at university who um, have not got that for whatever reason um, because I think as a lot of young people are facing around the world is the job market is very very tough very competitive um, and it takes a lot to stand out and to secure um, secure to, to find and get secure employment um, is a challenge um, and I think it's really valuable to have you know support your friends and also have mentors who can guide you and give you advice and remind you that you know everything will be okay and you will find a job and find your place in the world mm -hmm. Sarah I also like what you said about you know also just understanding the rules and the culture around your professional life and then I'm really curious if the rest of you ladies have encountered any challenges like this in the workplace where it's almost been a culture shock like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this is what we were supposed to do or that things were supposed to be like that. Um, super quickly, I think. Yeah. Sorry, when I was super quick. Sorry, when I was doing my internship with this company, um, the biggest shock for me I was not getting constant evaluations because with uni and with school, you're you're getting feedback on your work constantly. And mm -hmm. at work, it's once a year, end of financial year. And that for me is really, really very strange and initially quite anxiety provoking because you know how do I measure that I'm you know I'm doing okay that um they're going to keep me that um you know everyone that I'm doing a good job that they like me how do I know how to improve um and I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge when I start as a full-timer in February well for me I'd say like I'm from Nigeria and I live in France so it's it's a different like uh, ball game because as an international student, you need to like, I guess, build a support system that's been here longer than you have been here. So they could coach you through what needs to be done because I can't just, I can't relate to most of the struggles that like people like Europeans who live here have. And so we have different realities. So like, the, the challenges that we tend to have are also very different. And so, yes, there are challenges in the workplace, like language, culture, and all that. But I guess I just learned with time to see what's allowed here and what isn't. And I've been very lucky to have like um, um superiors who, who, who were really interested in my growth, who didn't like count it against me when I didn't know when to do what, because like I just didn't know I mean, I think working places should also be places where you can like learn and grow as an individual. And so with the, uh, with the great, with a very great um, support system and great mentors, I think it helps in the long run. When I was an undergrad, the first two internships that I did, um, the first real work experience I had was in um, Indonesia where I lived at the time. And it's a much different um, work environment, work culture. Um, for both young people and for women um, than the United States is. And so when I was a junior and I had my first full internship in the United States, um, it took a long time for me to really adapt and, um, um, as much as I have liked because 
Um, I would say that when you work somewhere like Indonesia, it's much more structured. Um, you, if you are a young person, it's very clear that there's a hierarchy and there's not that much room for what in the United States most employers look for, like the proactiveness, the really assertiveness. And so when I um, interned at Twitter, um, when I was a junior, I found it really difficult to adapt and um, always, you know, turn into the go-getter immediately because that wasn't what I was used to. But I do think that, you know, if you are trying to make yourself a more adaptable um, employee, then you should try and work in as many different workplaces as possible because then you really become more resilient and capable of um, working in any different kind of environment. And like, even though we find ourselves in this like diverse situations, I think it's very key to keep finding ways to add value to ourselves to keep growing. Cause like the more you read, the more you improve on yourself, you'd find that your confidence starts to improve and then your personality starts to shine through. And that also attracts like employees and like coworkers. Cause like at some point you find that your presence is so key in the, in the place where you are that they just absolutely have to have you. And I, like my goal is to like get to that point in my career where like my absence is so noticeable and like painful to everyone around that they absolutely need me to be there. So like we just we should I guess we just keep like adding value to ourselves, like just be voracious about like volunteering, like having courses that you just do just to get better and then with little things like this, you find that you keep improving yourself and before you know it, you're amazing and everyone wants you. <laughs> yes, and, and here's what I want you all to know and everyone out there listening to know. You're already amazing, whether you're experienced or not or you know have access to connections or regardless of, of your own family history and background and, and geographic location, you are already amazing and you have something to contribute. Your voice is unique and it's very valuable. And the world needs it now more than ever. So this is so beautiful. Thank you, ladies, for sharing. And Anna, I know you and I have spoken to some of those challenges. Would you be interested in sharing? I can relate to having different realities because that's something that I experienced. Um, in one of my first jobs out of college was, okay, I, yes, I'm an American, but I have this whole different lifestyle at home. and. Some of the etiquette that's used in the regular workforce that might be well done a lot of folks, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily aware of it. Um, for example, I pressed the button on a service elevator. I didn't know which one was a service elevator and everyone just looked at me and I didn't really know what, how to respond. They just shoved it under the rug. But that was, that was one experience. Um, another experience was, um, being in an, being in an office and hearing um, a few folks say a few things that were a little bit racy about another coworker, and you know my my undergrad was super diverse, and so that you know, having hearing someone say that is definitely um, wrong. Um, but this individual was also a minority, and they they were the person that you're supposed to go to when, when situations like that happen. So I didn't really, so that's, so that's another experience. Um, also 
just because, you know, I, I am Latina. Um, I don't have an accent. At least I don't personally think so, but, um, I've seen a lot of other minorities that do have an accent. Sometimes they kind of have to, um, other people make jokes about it. And, um, to me, it just feels like I have to play along with it as if my accent is, is funny. It's actually not funny. That's just, that's just the way a person speaks. So just how to, ha- just how to handle those small, I mean, they're, they're not small. They're, they're, they're a big deal, but learning how to navigate those um, has been really difficult for me. Can I actually ask a slightly uncomfortable question? Yes. In Australia, we have a population that is roughly, of the last census, 85% white. Um, but thankfully, in the big cities, um, it's much, much more diverse. Um, and as a white woman, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that I, I, I don't quite know how to call out people for saying racist things or um, how to react if someone calls me out for saying something racist. And as three women of colour, I was wondering if you guys could just share your thoughts on this because I think I'm growing and as I read more and talk to people, I'm realising this is incredibly important and not something that I experience because I'm white. And so I want to make sure that I've got the tools and I understand how to do the right thing if I'm ever put in that sort of situation or I put myself in that situation where um, a racial blur or something bad happens. Do you guys have any thoughts? Um, as an introvert, I'm inclined to tell you that, well, if you, are not, if you don't feel like confident enough to like stand up right there and say something about it, you always have the social media. <laughs> and you were like oh on the train today I saw someone do this and this woman said this and like people will be like okay yes at least you're doing something about it and I think that's the very least you could do about it you know mm-hmm. and I'm just saying that that's what I know right I can't relate to like an African-American in America like uh being uh being uh in such a situation because I'm not African-American I'm properly African living in <laughs> Paris and so like sometimes even when people try to like be racist towards me I'm just like what's wrong with this one that's my like the first thing that comes to my mind is what's wrong with this one because I just can't <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you because I don't know why you're being rude to me because I don't I didn't even like see myself as black until like I came to out of like my country and then I'm like okay these are things I actually need to read and understand and it's actually how people I agree with that so much that, so yeah I would just say like I used to get like similar to Motu like I I'm from India like I never used to think of myself like as a quote-unquote woman of color until I came to Berkeley and someone was like you're a woman of color and I was like uh, well to me I'm from a country where everyone has a different color that's not white like everyone is everyone is brown where I'm from so like I used to get really upset and offended but then the more time I spent in the Bay Area and um, I went to high school in New York the more I realized that sometimes it's not always intentional like some people may not just may not have had like prior exposure to different cultures or different ideas like of course if it is intentional then I probably would you know say like like Moji said like say something along the lines of like that's not okay or I don't think you know you should be saying something like that but yeah I would also say um 
I'm actually part of a feminist group here in the Twin oh. Cities. It's just women that got together after um, race and politics. But anyway, a lot of these women, they just wanted to be a lot more politically involved. And so for them, they started just attending workshops and um, just different things where they can be learn to be more of an ally if they don't already, if you know, if they don't know how to mm. reach out, um, mm. go to things, learn about things to know how to be an ally to um, people of color here, it, you know, not not just here in the U.S., but anywhere internationally because it is it's definitely a different experience feeling like a minority um and also when it comes to you know I I had I had an experience before where I didn't know what to say I actually didn't say anything and I really regret that um but I think now I would ask myself well what are what are this person's intentions are do they mean to put other people down are they you know is it just out of lack of knowledge um and if there's a group of people there I might pull them aside privately later on and talk to them but I think that also seeing something in that moment is pretty powerful because it sets the stage for hey that's not okay in my workforce that's not that's not okay to say um which I think is super powerful thank you guys I really appreciate it it's really helpful yeah, the emotional intelligence in this podcast episode right now is the charts. It's so impressive. <laughs> any of you have ever experienced any sort of discrimination or kind of negativity, even if it's, you know, quote unquote, informal or kind of off the cuff, it isn't okay. And there is a community here to help you. So reach out, let someone know, feel free to be in touch with me, with us, with this podcast. <laughs> I mean, even just these four young women here, um, that have shared, we are here for you. You're, you're not alone. Anything else you guys want to discuss? I mean, I know we're all on a schedule, but this is amazing. Maybe what's been the most helpful so far for you in your career, practical. I don't know, for me, I'd say, like, my past supervisors, to a certain degree, because, like, my very recent supervisor was just very interested in my growth, like, as an individual. And I know, like, I'm not sure if people, like, her come, come along, like, often, but I was just very touched by how much she wanted to be involved in my life. And she realized that, like, the things I wanted, I couldn't get out of the company that she had. And so she would she would set me up with her friends in different niches just so I could speak with someone else who had interests similar to mine, just so they could help me like uh, just garner up what's within me so I could then try and figure out where I wanted to be at at a certain point. So I'd say like mentors, supervisors, like just the council of women who are in international relations, not necessarily communications, but like women who've been there like their inputs are really really I find them really valuable so that really helped me yeah I mean I would say like the biggest thing for me um was in university I had a really strong group of friends who were so passionate about what they did that um like advancing your career and wanting to always continuously grow and be better was like a norm for us and I think that just having like a support system that really encourages you all the time to be your best and um, obviously like Berkeley and University and 
the job market in general is very, very competitive, but to be able to have people by your side who want to see you succeed, who are willing to help you, you know, who, if they see an opportunity that looks like it's something that's good for you, or they don't even hesitate before, you know, sending it to you in an email or over Facebook or over text and saying, you should apply for this, encouraging you to do so. Like that's been the most helpful for me. Yeah, just to like bounce off what you just said, my current position in Paris right now, I actually have the job because a friend of mine sent the offer to me. She was like, Sherry, this like this is the perfect fit for you and you should apply. And so I applied and I have the job. So like it's really important to have like a support system of young people like yourself who actually have your interests at heart. And same for her, like funny enough, like the position she also has is because I said I forwarded her CV to someone like a mentor of mine. And so like, it's just really important to have young people and support one another. Like no one is an island and you need your friends. You need like your girlfriends to encourage you, not just like for personal issues, but also career wise. That's so good. Imagine an entire crowd of potential mentors listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say to potential mentors? What do you want them to know? But also, what do you need to know? What help could you use in your career? At least for the space that I want to go into, it's very niche. Um, Technology policies, like I said, it's continuously changing, but it's also relatively uh, new and upcoming. Um, And a lot of the people who work in the field and are successful in this field have, um, you know, either worked in politics or policy or technology for a very long time. So as like a recent grad who's trying to get into this field, it's really difficult to try and break in to know, you know, what the best career path is, because there's really no, um, there's no way, there's no set way of getting into it. And so it would be great, you know, for a mentor to be able to work with people who are trying to get into these fields and um, understand their needs and their interests and sort of provide guidance because they're already in that field. For me, my question would be, what does diplomacy and work with refugees abroad look like, but with the element of um, public health, mental health? I'd like to know more about the different opportunities that are already out there me to reach because this has been a really recent um this just has this has been so recent for me to realize that I'm actually passionate about mental health but specifically with refugees abroad yeah and I like how you posed your question what does it look like right like a lot of the issues that we want to work on the problems that we want to solve and the potential solutions we don't even know what they need to look like yet um so I think you're you're right on the money with that one. Because my first job outside of university will be in the private sector, um, consulting with government, because um, I'll be in the capital of my country. Um, and so I think look, looking long term, the advice I would really appreciate would be, how do you move from private to public to private to public? Um there's sort of a a feeling that um, if you're in Australia and you go into the public sector, it's very difficult to move out of there while it's easier to move around in the private sector if you want to. Um, And so I'd be really interested in knowing 
how to navigate this because you know as young professionals in the 21st century we are likely to have multiple jobs and even multiple careers so I think that'd be really valuable advice. Uh, I agree with what Sarah said really like I just really I guess I'll just urge them to be generous with their experiences because like even though some some of us don't know exactly what we want to do we really appreciate it when someone else is so generous with how they became self-aware enough to know that this position was no longer fit for them or like how they become how they became um, self-aware enough to know that oh it's time for me to start my own company or how like they just made the transitions and that's something I've really appreciated in the past and I know it's something that will always help me grow because I really appreciate learning about people people's experiences and how they came about this and so in my interviews even before like the person got to know me I, I showed them that I was interested in their stories as much as they were interested in, let's say, just finding like a fit for a job. Like I was always interested in the stories of people in, who interviewed me. Like, how did you know you were supposed to do this? Because I would speak with people, like uh, potential supervisors who, let's say, did arts for like their bachelors and then they later became like uh, focused on counterterrorism. I'm like, how did you decide to do this? Because this switch is really radical, you know? So I'll just really urge like, our potential mentors out there just be generous like we're 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 a very i'd say we're really voracious as a generation we really want to learn as much as we could just to make better decisions in the future so please be generous and we would be generous enough to pass on what we learn from you onto others what is inspiring you right now have you seen anything lately that has just reminded you okay this is why i do this work and this is why i want to contribute my voice. How do you stay positive despite these challenges? Right now, I find myself reading a lot and like just exploring like voices of minority in literature and film. And this movie, Hidden Figures, <laughs> was out recently. Oh, it's so and good. It was, it was really good, and it was just like you never know. Like you just need to keep pushing and getting better because these women, like they went like a step further. I know sometimes I tend to be lazy in like my drive and like my need to like improve myself but like just watching this is like you need to keep working you need to keep getting better and also like in the books I read um Cheryl Sandberg is um what's it called the book is called um, Lean In right Lean In yes <laughs> that's also a great book because like it's helping me understand like it's helping me like peel off like psychological layers to like the workplace and I realized that I tend to like lean back a lot more often than I should lean in. So now it's just making me realize that I need to make a more conscious effort to like show that I'm here and I want I want to be seen. I want to be known as valuable and I have something to offer. So I just I'm exploring more and more in film and literature and I find that the more I learn, the more confident I become and the more sure of myself I I become. So yeah. I'm just bouncing off you, Motu. Speaking of literature, um, I've been really enjoying um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's works. Yes. Oh, she's phenomenal. Um, especially um, her TED Talks and then the, the literature version of um, her TED Talk, We Should All Be Feminists. Um, because, you know, I am a feminist. I believe in the equality of the sexes. But it's sort of the intricacies of how you express that in your day-to-day life is mm-hmm. a challenge. And I think it's, you know, something each individual needs to figure out. And I really like Jim Amanda's take on it where 
she describes that you're allowed to be angry and you're allowed to fight and yell if you want to, but that doesn't mean that you can't be feminine and gentle and kind as well. Um, and wear pink, because I love pink, <laughs> if you feel like it too. Um, I really find that inspiring um, and a call to arms um, in a way to um, let yourself be um, as complicated and messy and good as you possibly can um, and not have to compromise your values and who you are um, because it's inconvenient for someone or it's not feminine or it's just, yeah, it's really, really inspiring and beautifully written stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. I completely agree with that. And I think it also, I guess, reading all these women who've like, who've had life experiences, reading their works helps you be more comfortable in the space that you occupy. So it's not as though you were, you're like limiting yourself for someone else to feel better, but you're, you're being your complete self. And you're being like completely self-aware, you know, when things make you uncomfortable and you stand for that, you know, when you're comfortable and you stand for that. And that's something that's really amazing. I'm, I just really appreciate that. Like mm. I have access mm. to like works of Maya Angelou, Chimamanda, and like so many, so many works of literature out there. It's just a really great mm -hmm. experience. And super quick, because I stand, I'm without heels, I'm nearly six feet tall. Um, and so sometimes occupying space, um, can be a challenge and I want to shrink myself so I fit in more and sort of a goal of mine this year is to sit up tall stand up straight yes. put your heels on and get out into the yes. world and own your space yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually yes. like five feet, so I actually I love that I need to stand as big as possible because I'm like five feet, so. yeah <laughs> regardless yes occupy take that space because you guys are so valuable okay continue continue um I would say that probably the the person that or the thing that's inspiring me the most is very recently I met a young woman who I think is just a few years older than me and she's hard of hearing but she just um went through university she did not one not two but three degrees and she's um, like going to she got a job at a big media company and she's very successful. And she like obviously has um, much more hardship in her life than many of uh, the rest of us. But she was able to come out so successful and so positive. And so that was just like so inspiring for me because it was like she, you know, she's hard of hearing. She um, like her personal background was not as you know, nice as many, uh, many of the rest of us. Um, but she was able to do so much. And it's like, you know, I have two fully functioning eyes, two fully functioning ears, a, you know, a body, a brain, like, if she can do anything, and she can be so successful, then any of us really can. And I think that if we're not really giving it our, our 100%, then we're really just limiting ourselves. For me, I've been having a lot of conversations with different women. And um, a lot of them have been asking me, okay, well, what's the end point? Where do you ultimately want to get to? But recently I had one woman tell me, well, Anna, you know what? Think about your passions, the things that you're really good at. And just because there isn't a specific role that looks like that doesn't mean that um, it, there eventually won't be one. Um, we just have to learn to knock on the right doors and not be scared to make a few waves. Um, cause this particular woman, she actually saw a need, went for it, 
um, now is a professor at the U of M and does um, health equity work um, for African-Americans. And a lot of the things that inspired her were things that she actually saw abroad. And I've, I've just had a lot of my experience abroad. Um, I've seen it just shine through with my passions now. And so I found that really inspiring knowing that, hey, I don't have to have one specific thing. I can just keep knocking on the right doors and I'll, fi- I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. Or I might be able to create um, the job in the long run. Ladies, thank you for everything you have shared with us. And I cannot wait to hear your special correspondent episodes. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey. Yes. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for listening to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. The theme song for this podcast is called Misty Moses, and it's by the artist Rodrigo y Gabriela. Use of that recording is graciously provided by RubyWorks Records in Dublin, Ireland. For more information and to download more music by Rodrigo y Gabriela, check out theforeignpolicyproject.org. Thank you.